I recently toured the animal shelter in Frederick County with Division Director of Animal Control, Linda Shea. There are tons of news articles and blog posts about animal shelters seeing an increase of puppies and kittens right after the holidays due to families returning Christmas animals. I asked Shea if that was the case in Frederick. So fortunately, and historically we've not, um, I think we have, as a community, as a society, weaned ourselves away or moved away from that impulse shopping before the holidays to get a Christmas puppy or a holiday kitten, um, which is a good thing. I think measures in education, I think ongoing community outreach helps reduce those numbers. This is Frederick and Cut, and I'm Heather Mangilio. At the animal shelter in Frederick County, the number of animals doesn't rise after the holidays, but there are still plenty of animals available who need good homes. I spoke with Shay about the process for adopting a pet in the busiest time for the shelter. Uh, it seems historically May and August are two times that we see the most number of animals that have been adopted from us that are returned to us. Um, and for reasons that are as varied as the animals and the people, um, changes in lifestyle, landlord won't allow, something that... It, Typically, it never has anything to do with the animal. It has a lot to do with the people making preparation. May is a time of when a lot of people move. They relocate. They are graduating from school or um, moving on, being promoted at work and have to relocate. And for whatever reason, can't take the animal with them or don't have resources to do some research. Um, the other high in higher influx of returned adoptions is August and I'm gonna just speculate that again the, another lifestyle change um, people may be returning to school um, moving you know prepping for the the new fiscal year whatever so uh, you know, again the, the reasons are varied um, one thing that um, we are obligated to our pets for life so if you adopt an animal from us we do ask that you return the animal to us we don't want to inflict a burden upon other shelters or other uh, arenas of, of where animals might be adopted out from um, one thing that we do to prevent intakes across the board whether it's a returned adoption or just an, a new intake of an animal we do have project hope which is in place to offer resources, have a discussion, have some outreach, uh, hyperlinks to other places that may be able to help you actually keep your pet instead of having to relinquish. In terms of um, reasons for people bringing it back, is it usually that lifestyle change or do you have people come back and say, the pet just wasn't right for me or I needed, I just didn't get along with this animal? Sure, there's... There's probably about 30 reasons that we have a database and we pick one. Um, sometimes it is unrealistic expectations. And, you know, it used to be Christmas puppies. Everybody wanted a puppy for Christmas. So, again, we have in place an adoption process where you can't just walk in, see a cute puppy, and walk out with it. Um, there is a process. So, um, sometimes real unrealistic expectations. They think they want a puppy and then it does some damage in the home or it whines a lot, um, or the cat is clawing and you didn't really expect them to do that. Um, I'm not into changing the litter box. Uh, I mean, there, there's just a gamut. So a lot of times it, it's just a combination of, of things. Sometimes it's animal behavior. Um, sometimes it's neighbors. You know, we, we kind of look at the home that the animal may be going into. One thing that we try to discourage 
um, and really look at heartily is if you are living in an apartment and you want some type of hound dog, uh, beagle. They tend to bay at two o'clock in the morning because there's a dangerous plastic bag going through the backyard and that can be annoying and upsetting to your neighbors. So as an adopter you want to be aware of that. You may not be aware of it if you've never had a beagle. So um, sometimes dog behavior and cat behavior is a reason. Um, sometimes people have allergies and they may not have lived with a pet before and didn't realize they had allergies. So again, we, we have resources to try to make it work, but we, we understand that we're not going to have 100% of our animals to never come back. There's going to be a small percentage that do come back. And um, in terms of animals, you mentioned that you said you had to do this um, adoption process. So what are some of the things that you're looking for in a person before you're confident that they can take this animal? Good question. Um, so we look for, you know, we want good homes. We know there's no such thing as a perfect home. The main thing that I look for, especially when I'm interviewing a person for an adoption, is um, their commitment and understanding that animals are living, sentient beings. Um, they're smart. They have feelings. They figure things out quickly. They can have a sense of anxiety. I want you to commit to that animal for the rest of its life. And there are going to be medical bills. There's going to be routine veterinary care bills. There's going to be unexpected accidents. Um, if you leave chocolate out after Valentine's Day, that could be a problem if your uh, retriever ends up eating the whole bag, including the foil. So you need to be prepared. And that commitment, you know, we can go through a lot of different scenarios, but you just really have to be prepared for anything. And you need to have some resources in place, um, something to, to reach out to, to support in case the unexpected does happen um, you know and regardless of your age you really need to consider what happens if something happens to you what happens to your pet so that planning ahead and that committing to that animal for life is the main thing we look for the other things that are not quite as significant um, have you owned pets before have you owned exotic pets? If you're interested in a bunny, people think bunnies are great first pets, and they can be, but they require just as much care as dogs and cats. They need their nails trimmed, they need their teeth monitored, they need to go to the vet, they need their diet maintained so they don't get overweight. Um, they can have a whole series of illnesses specific to bunnies. So I don't think there's such a thing as an easy pet. I think an easy pet is based on your experience. Um, the other things that we look at, we are we try to be very respectful of landlords. So we do call your landlord to make sure that whatever pet you want to adopt is okay with them because we don't want you to get home and the landlord says, can't stay, it's either you or the dog and, and the dog ends up coming back here, that's not fair. Um, we do have a database we look at, of course, probably the obvious things if you've ever mistreated, neglected, or been charged with cruelty we're not going to adopt you. You might be able to get a pet other places, but not from us. And have you found that people are still coming to shelters to pick up animals, or are they going through more foster systems where people foster pets and then they can adopt them? So um, we actually have both, so we're pretty well-rounded as far as a shelter. We have about 65 foster care providers, meaning 65 very selfless people take shelter animals for a temporary 
time um, to either get them better if they're sick, to work on behavior if they have behavior issues, to um, get them to, to be old enough and big enough for adoption. Sometimes we get unweaned puppies and kittens that just need to be somewhere until they're eight weeks old. Um, so I think, you know, we had about 35,000 people come to our shelter last year. That's a lot of visitors. So we are definitely still on the radar. So I, I do think that people are looking at shelters um, instead of maybe the traditional pet stores of a long time ago. So I think they're no longer seeing us as, or animals as, you know, the leftovers, the unwanted. Um, they, I think we are a viable source for, for a lot of um, loving, affectionate, pets. Perfect. Anything else that we should know? No, I appreciate this opportunity. We just want to encourage people, if you've not been to the shelter, um, especially if you live in Frederick County and you pay taxes, you want to see where your taxes go. So we encourage you to visit. We're here open to the public six days a week. Of course, we're here seven days a week mm -hmm. taking care of animals, so don't worry about that. Um, but I really do encourage, if even if you're not interested in adopting a pet, I think it's just um, you know a good exercise in knowing what's going on in the county. All right, perfect. And can we meet some of the pets? Absolutely. All right, great. Cage brave. Once he's out of the cage, he's nothing like that. <laughs> what kind of dog is he? He's like a Mastiff Great Dane mix. What you doing? So this is Bob and this is Marley. They're best friends. They came in from a situation where there were um, 25 other dogs besides them. So they're available for adoption, but they're friends, so they have to be adopted together. They're considered bonded. Um, Bob, the littler one, is actually in charge and takes care of Marley, who's your little white one back there, kind of hides in the gutter. But, um, you know, when animals develop relationships, we're not going to break that. They came from a not great situation, so we're trying to do the best we can with adopt them. But they're come here, Bob. Come here, Bob. I did, good boy. Aww, I know. We you think you're a 30-pound dog. You're not. So our kitty cabana looks like the first room is empty. They might all have all been adopted, oh, which is great. And now we've got three in here. These cats back here are a little more shy, um, which is why they've got this kind of semi-isolated area. We discourage young children from being in here because these cats really thrive on quiet and mature and don't really like to be handled as much as your average cat. But nonetheless, you can tell they're just as social as the rest of them. Maybe a little less tolerant, but um, you know, having this seclusion back here allows them to show their great personalities. And <laughs> if you were to adopt a cat from this area, you want to be cat savvy. You just, if you're looking for a cat that you can pick up and squeeze and cuddle, um, I wouldn't pick from these guys. But nonetheless, they're, they're very sweet and very adoptable. There are several animals available for adoption at the shelter. To show some of them off, the animal shelter had a pet fashion show.
The shelter is always looking for volunteers, Shay said, including for people like me who love animals but can't have them for housing regulations. Some volunteers are pretty young. Crime and Courts reporter Jeremy Arias joins me now to discuss two boys who reached the dogs at the animal shelter. All right, so Jeremy, can you tell me a little bit about the two boys and how they got involved with reading with animals? Uh, sure. So uh, the, the two boys' names, uh, they're, they're brothers. Um, it's Colby and Jason. Uh, Colby uh, is 10. Uh, he was actually about to turn 11 um, when I spoke to him on the 11th of January. That was that Saturday. Uh, and his brother Jason is eight. Um, <clears throat> they uh, got the idea from, uh, well, the, the idea originated with, with Colby, I believe. Um, Colby struggles with reading um, in, in school. Uh, and it, it, it's kind of strange. He, he, while he struggles with it, it's also one of his, um, one of his favorite pastimes, according to his stepmom. And I should apologize, uh, because the family does not use the term stepmom. They refer to her as the bonus mom. Um, so, uh, Colby's, uh, bonus mom was telling me that, um, uh, that while he does struggle with reading in his classes, uh, it is something that he spends a lot of time doing at home. Um, and so for when when they were looking at New Year's resolutions, uh, one thing that Colby wanted to do was to try to combine um, two of his passions, two of his loves. Uh, one, uh, a love of reading, uh, and the second, a love of animals. Um, uh, Colby and Jason's uh, father uh, actually owns um, a, a wildlife removal service uh, here in the county uh, and has operated that for a number of years. Uh, it's Tim Ryan. Um, and, uh, so they have, um, interacted with all kinds of different animals, uh, for their entire lives from, they own several dogs, uh, I think, uh, a cat or two, uh, and some chickens. Uh, and they've also, uh, played foster parents. The boys have to, uh, I say pets, but, uh, to animals as exotic as, uh, groundhogs, possums, uh, even an alligator recently, uh, their father, Tim, uh, wrangled toward the end of the summer from a lake in southern Frederick County. That was something else that we'd written about. So they've, they've really had a lot of experience with animals, and that's sort of where it came from, Colby's love of animals and reading. All right, perfect. So can you tell me a little bit about what they actually read to these animals? Uh, <clears throat> so they, they had um, some some pretty... Uh, some pretty simple books. Uh, Colby had a book of, uh, it's a collection of comic strips. Um, actually, I remember reading some of them when I was growing up in the local newspaper. It was Big Nate Comics. Um, so, I mean, they're, they're usually a couple panels. Uh, it's fairly simple, something that he can read uh, in a calm tone, um, uh, level voice uh, that really helps the dogs, um, particularly the dogs, um, the more social animals. Um, just hearing that voice um, uh, and, and having that, the comfort of of uh, the boys sitting close by and just talking to them um, in, in that level, calm tone uh, and voice. Um, Jason, I, I do forget which book uh, Jason was reading. I forget the title, um, but it was uh, it was about um, it was sort of an adventure story where the the character went out. Um, and was challenging several other characters to feats of strength. Uh, that's, they, they, uh, they, they were, they were uh, young adult books um, that, again, could be read and were being read with, with very calm, uh, level voices, which is really what helped the animals. 
And so you got to go there and watch them. So what do the animals do in response to having someone read to them? Uh, so it was very sweet in particular watching um, one of the dogs that I started the story off with uh, was named Bentley. He was a, a pit mix and he had some uh, vision impairments. And Bentley um, immediately uh, after Colby sat down and and um, he would, you know, Colby would raise his hand and, and let Bentley sniff his hand, let him know he was there and, and give him an idea of, you know, here's my scent, you know, get comfortable with me. And uh, Colby sat down right next to the cage, touching the, the you know, the, the, the cage and reading very, very calmly uh, to Bentley. And Bentley, uh, obviously having the vision impairment, um, is is easily startled uh, by loud noises and that sort of thing. So this was particularly helpful to to that dog. And you could see almost immediately uh, a change. Uh, Bentley would stop, he immediately stopped pacing his cage, uh, going back and forth. Uh, nervously, kind of our eyes darting around, uh, he immediately came up to the front after smelling uh, Colby's hand, uh, sat down, um, leaned in toward the cage um, to be as close to Colby as possible, and just stared straight ahead. Um, and you can tell he's just he's has his head is cocked uh, toward where the voice is coming from, and just immediate change uh, from nervous pacing the cage to calm sitting down eventually his tail started wagging uh you know by the time that colby had finished reading um uh, a collection of uh of the comics that he was reading of uh, the strips um bentley was laying down uh head on his paws completely relaxed uh so it was um and you could see that in a lot of the dogs not just in bentley but uh you know they would uh run up at first very excited barking um, you know, yelping, that sort of thing, too. By the time the boys had gotten into the reading, both dogs are sitting quietly next to the cage, just happy to have some company, obviously reassured by the very calm tones that the boys are reading to them in. Very cute. And so as someone who I know you have a history of dogs in your family, did you feel like taking one home after listening to these kids read to them? Uh, yeah, definitely. Um, I... Uh, well, before I was born, my my mother had a um, had a had a dog uh, already, um, and I grew up with uh, with her um, sort of <laughs> guiding me and my sister. We were part of her pack, and then when she passed um, uh, a few years after that, my mom was able to to adjust again. We got sort of what I consider my dog, uh, which was uh, Topi. She was um, uh, she was a corgi, and I love those dogs. Um, and obviously, you know, I, I'm a dog person. I, I love animals as well. Um, so, yeah, there, there's always part of me that wants to save every dog that's in there um, that you see. But uh, living in an apartment right now, um, being sort of on my own, not having um, the ability to, to really invest toward the dog, I, it, it would be a disservice to me to, um, to, to both myself and to the dog to, to adopt a dog at this point. Um, in, in my life, it, it, they, they require a lot of attention, um, a lot of training, uh, and I, I'm, I'm just not ready to provide that at this point, but uh, another animal possibly. All right. Well, we'll keep in touch with you and see if you get another animal and save all the dogs eventually from the shelter. Sure. Well, Jeremy, thank you so much for coming in. Is there anything else you think we should know about the story? 
Uh, no, other than um, what what Colby and Jason did, um, and what they are doing, what they're what they're going to be trying to do every weekend moving forward, uh, isn't something special. It's not something that they had um, really sat down and and had to plan a whole lot about with the animal shelter. Uh, it's something that uh, when I was talking with Linda Shea, the director, um, she was telling me that this is something that uh, that a number of people. Uh, have decided to do. Um, they're not alone. Uh, it, it doesn't take a whole lot of time. Uh, you don't need a, a license or anything to come in, and you just need something to read, a little bit of time on your hands, and some patience. Um, and it really does help these animals a lot from what I'm hearing from the shelter staff. It's a very uh, hectic environment. The dogs, all the animals are, are um, it's a strange new environment for a lot of them. Um, there's a lot of other animals, so there's, so there's a lot of noise, there's barking, um, there's, uh, you know, foreign uh, animal noises as well. Uh, there's the excitement uh, and the stress of people constantly coming in, uh, trying to meet these animals. And, and, you know, what Lyndon mentioned, one of the first things people do when they see a cute dog is they run toward it. And, oh, my God, it's so adorable. I want to uh, hug it and pet it and all this stuff. And that that energy is great, she was telling me, but it, it can also when these animals are in that kind of environment, lead to some stress. And one of the ways that uh, they're able to relieve some of that stress is by doing, um, experiencing what, what these boys were offering. And it doesn't take um, uh, a specialty or a, a vest or, or a certification to do what these boys were doing. It just, like I said, takes a little bit of time, uh, some patience, and a book. All right, perfect. Well, thank you so much. And you can find Jeremy's story about the two boys on FrederickNewsPost.com. Jeremy, thanks again for coming in. Thank you for having me. City Editor Alan Etzler joins me now to talk about news we might have missed last week and what is coming up this week. Okay, Alan, so again, congratulations. Your team is now going to the Super Bowl, so I'm sure you are elated. Yeah, well, I'm I'm happy they won, but I'm a little concerned about this, the actual Super Bowl because I don't think the Chiefs match up. Or I don't think the Niners match up particularly well with the Chiefs, but I am pumped. It'll be a, it'll be a wild couple hours in my household. Oh, that's exciting! I'm excited. I make cupcakes every year, and now I only have to make like four colors because the Chiefs and the yeah. I mean, really, you could just make two. Just <laughs> yeah. make red cupcakes, and you're good. So yeah. all red Super Bowl. So I'm very excited, and you know, Jimmy G gotta gotta support the what could have been the Patriots' next great what should have been what should have been. They had the chance to trade Brady, and they chose to trade Jimmy. So. So we'll see how it goes. Hopefully he gets the Super Bowl win. Um, but talking about things in Frederick, what's some of the news that we might have missed last week or the news that we have coming up? I guess we'll start with with last week. One of the, uh, I guess the two most interesting stories I found, were, one was actually in today's paper, um, and that was by Steve Bonell, our state reporter, um, who uh, wrote a story about the uh, public safety training center in Frederick uh, receiving or on the docket, I guess, until the budget's passed to receive about uh, $1.5 million. And that's really important because um, our uh, county's firefighter staffing levels had, had gotten quite low in recent years. And so the county executive, Jan Gardner, has made it a point to to fund more firefighter uh, positions uh, so that we can build that staffing back up. And so they're going to have some pretty large classes coming through in the next uh, about year or so. Um 
And I think at, one, at any one time they might have 90 people, as many as 90 firefighter recruits up in, in that. So they needed to expand that space and, and get more lockers. And now the $1.5 million isn't going to some sexy kind of new public uh, training safety or public safety training center uh, expansion. It's going to some real necessary things. So maybe a lot of people on the outside won't think it's totally needed, but it, it, it certainly is uh, if you're going to have – groups of that number uh, occupying it at once and well budget stories are always interesting because they they seem so boring oh don't on the say face, budget stories are always they're never <laughs> i've read a lot of boring budget stories no budget stories can be really interesting uh if you put a face on it and if you really can communicate the impact of what where that money is going to go and what it's going to do and a big um, budget like this i think um Someone over at the Baltimore Sun's like really digging into the budget just on a statewide level. But yeah. some of the things that just get hidden in budgets, mm-hmm. um, even on like the local things, I like cover two towns and you'd be surprised like the little tiniest details that come out of the budget are some things that make great stories just because they sure. might be weird or necessary, but kind of odd coming across in a budget. For sure. What's the weirdest thing you've ever seen? Oh, that's a good question. There was a lot of stuff over in Westminster that when I used to cover that for the Carroll County Times, it was weird. Um, but I can't remember off the top of my head. Mount Aries is pretty interesting um, and just the sense that it's it's so big in terms of how much money they've saved, which kind of goes into their whole thing of we're so careful with our spending and we don't want to spend so much, and that really reflects in the budget. Um, so they are kind of true to their word with that, but then you kind of question it with some of the projects that they talk about. Like you have so much money in the reserves funding, but they're so scared to send, spend some of that money. Yeah. One of the the weirdest things I've seen, and I'm going to recall this strictly off of memory, so if I get something Mm -hmm. wrong, I'm very sorry. But uh, it was the Frederick County Public Schools budget system, and it was the food nutrition budget system. And there was a line item in there uh, for, I believe, and this is what I might get wrong, but I believe it's the Department of Justice. (laughs) So you're like, what on earth is Frederick County Public Schools getting from the Department of Justice? Well, apparently food, uh, fruits and vegetables from a lot of school systems across the country um, predominantly come from this this governmental this federal government uh department uh that just seems like it should never come from there and it is very odd that's the weirdest thing i've ever seen um the school system has made a pretty concerted effort to try to get more and more local as they buy those fruits and vegetables uh but i don't think there's the supply mm-hmm. needed to supply 43,000 kids so they've got to they've got to outsource it from somewhere um and then the other story that i wanted to bring up was uh Erica Riley's story on how uh, hiring issues, uh, a lot of um, companies in Frederick County, and we talked about this a couple of weeks ago, so I won't hit on it too too long. Uh, but a lot of companies in Frederick County, especially in the manufacturing field, are having problems um, hiring employees or finding the the skilled labor and the qualified help to uh, to fill out their staffs. And uh, she she wrote a, a really good story, uh, kind of highlighting those issues and what those struggles exactly are. And um, you know, to me. Uh, one of the big ones that stood out was obviously pay. I think there was a part of that story that had mentioned something along the lines of a welder um, would be starting at about $14 and 50 cents an hour. Um, that's not a great salary for a welder. So I can understand why you might have a, a problem hiring there. Uh, but this issue is the number one issue we hear about from, from a, uh, companies in Frederick County and from the Chamber of Commerce is the number one thing they hear about. It's the number one thing the County uh, Economic Development Office hears about. Uh, so it's not a surprise to hear that they're having these issues, but they all kind of have varying reasons why they can't sort of get that help. Uh, it's kind of one of the downfalls of a, such a strong economy with a low uh, unemployment rate. Um, but let's talk about this week. 
All right. Uh, so as as of today, we're recording this. This will come out on Tuesday. But today is Martin Luther King Day. Um, and uh, you went out to the city to kind of cover the day of service. Uh, I want to get your perspective on that because that's going to be uh, one of the big stories in the paper uh, tomorrow when this podcast comes out. So have um, at it. It was pretty cool. Um, there's a lot of people. Um, it was held at the Ark um, on Market Street. So that's the Ark building that's right next to the stadium. Um, and they're... They have this one big room where they hold a bunch of events, and it's pretty much packed with everyone who is making blankets, um, pillows, hats, sending or making cards that they will be sending to first responders, and I think some veterans as well, um, or people who are currently deployed. Um, so it was pretty impressive just to see how many people um, are coming out and spending their times. Lots of young kids that were being, you know, shepherded by their parents. Um, I talked to one person who's a social worker, and she just said that. She wants to make sure her kids from an early age know how important service is, so that's why they were there. Um, so it should be a nice story, feel-good cool. story for a feel-good day, kind of. Yeah, kind of a feel-good yeah. day. Yes, I would say um, I think one of the things we don't talk about enough in when we talk about Martin Luther King is quite a – he was incredibly unpopular at the time of his death for what it's worth. Uh, but also he, everybody thinks of him as this kind of love and be loved type type of guy. And he was absolutely a disruptor. Right. And, and for a good reason, it was a noble reason. Um, but he was, he's not really talked about enough uh, from his perspective of how unwilling he was to let injustice thrive in that moment. And in this uh, time that we are currently living in of civil unrest, I think it's important to remember how we looked at Martin Luther King then and how we look at him now and the way he, in the way he portrayed himself then versus the way we portray him now. Um, because I think we'd see some similarities in how, how we're treating people who are rising up for mm-hmm. whatever cause that they're, they're feeling passionate about. I think we might see some similarities to how, uh, if you look back at the true Martin Luther King, how how he acted. Yeah, it's just so it's very interesting to me because the big thing almost like the tagline of this event and I've heard it from multiple ones not just here in Frederick is it's a day on not a day off um because so many people are cl- uh, closed their offices for this day. And I think it's great but you know it's so much about service now which it's great but that's not necessarily what the whole day was supposed to be celebrated as. It wasn't like he was someone who's just volunteering in his community. So it is very interesting how this day has been take, taken on a new meaning and helping other people and talking about bettering the community, but it's not quite the same thing as like you were saying, what would have been like right after it first started. Right, for sure. I think it, uh, maybe a better, more apt description might be a day of justice if mm-hmm. we were uh, being super technical. But uh, anything people can do to make their communities better is also something Martin Luther King would have been proud of. Um the other stories that were that I'm kind of interested in, uh, Ryan Marshall is working on a state government story about the gas tax. And uh, we have a local senator, Ron Young, who is looking at, I'm not sure if there's a bill in yet, um, about upping the gas tax, increasing the gas tax, the amount we pay when we buy a tank of gas, um, because of this move that so many of us have shifted to, I'm not one of them. I, I shouldn't say us. I don't have an electric car, but, um, the, the move of more, less gas reliant vehicles. Um, so because there's so many of those cars out there now, we're buying less gas. So they need to keep the revenue up. So they've got to increase the gas tax. It's kind of one of those, uh, in, uh, uh, 
consequence unintended consequences gosh can't get my words right unintended consequences of uh, bettering the environment and things like that is now you know you might need to find that revenue elsewhere or up the amount that the people who contribute to that revenue have to pay so i'm really interested in that story to see to see where that goes and what people are going to think about it uh, i'm not 100 percent sure it's going to be perceived or received super well but we'll see yeah <laughs> <laughs> And then uh, this weekend, um, this is something I'm really excited about. Um, uh, Colin McGuire has a three-part series that he's been working on for a while. He actually went to Asheville and Greenville, uh, South Carolina, Asheville, North Carolina, and uh, kind of profiled those cities and how they're handling homelessness. And then the other part is going to be to bring that home to Frederick and and what Frederick has been doing about homelessness. Um, It's one of the top issues we've heard from readers about is how do we help these people? How do we handle uh, the the perceived crime from homeless people along the creek? Um, and, and what communities can do to, to combat that issue? So we sent Colin to uh, two uh, similar cities in terms of demographics and income and population size and all those types of things uh, to write about what they've been doing. And they have vastly different solutions. Um, and they're doing vastly different things than what Frederick is doing. And so... I don't think anybody would say that they've totally solved it, but it's interesting to see what these other communities are doing and how those people, those, those homeless people feel um, in those communities and, and how, uh, you know, one of the things that we're going to do more of is explaining how homeless people feel in this community. Um, so I'm, I'm really excited for where that, uh, where that series goes and to see that. I'm, I'm under the impression as of now things change, but as of now it's going to run this weekend and early into next week. Very interesting. So I'm sure we'll be um, all waiting for that one. And then I'm, I know that homelessness is something that we'll be reporting on a lot more this oh, yeah. year. Um, I think I have many things that we'll be bringing up probably even on the podcast a little bit to um, talk about with homelessness. Um, anything else we should know about? I think that's all you're going to get from me. All right. Perfect. Well, uh, I know that you don't have to worry about football this week. So um, we'll check in with you uh, in a couple of weeks to see how you're feeling <laughs> after the Super Bowl. Yes, please do. All right, well, Alan, thank you so much for coming in. Thanks for having me. Okay, so Katrina, the newsroom smelled pretty good today (laughs) uh, because you gifted us with the pizza that you were photographing for your review. But can you tell us a little bit about where you went and why you brought us pizza? Yeah. Uh, So this week I went to Deli on the Rocks, which, if you can't figure out by the name, is in Point of Rocks. Um, And they're just kind of like your typical pizza joint. All right. Well, so you tried a couple of different pizzas, it seems like. So can you tell us a little bit about what those pizzas were? Yeah. So I tried just a regular cheese, you know, as like kind of a baseline. Um, I did their Grand Slam, which is kind of like their everything pizza that has everything on it. Um, their spinach white and their meat lovers. All right. What did you think? So overall, pretty good pizza. Um, the biggest issue I had was with the Grand Slam. Um, normally I am a fan of like mm-hmm. everything topping pizzas, like, you know, pile it on, like mushrooms, black olives, green peppers, like let's do it. But Deli on the Rocks, Grand Slam, everything pizza was just a little overloaded on an already overloaded pizza. Like, for example, when I picked up a slice one time, everything just came off (laughs) because it was so heavy with toppings so and I just felt like every bite I was kind of getting a mouthful of vegetables instead of like a pizza so that was like my biggest issue 
Well, so we tried, I guess you brought us back the Grand Slam, which I have to admit I did not try. <laughs> um, but also the cheese pizza and the spinach white, which the spinach white was kind of unusual. I've never seen that before. So what yeah. did you think? I had never seen something like that either. I mean, I've had white pizza, but they normally don't really put anything on it. So the spinach white was interesting to me. And I mean, I thought it was fine. Um, I kind of wish that there had been like a little more maybe like Alfredo sauce on there or like something to make it a little bit more of a white pizza. Um, it was a little dry for me, but overall I thought it was a good combo. And so when you talk about pizza, usually that, that can run in range of prices from really expensive to that cheap pizza you're getting because you want to have a bunch of people over. Right. So what is this fall? So most of their signature pizza, pizzas, which are like the Grand Slam, the Meat Lovers, etc., those, um, depending on their size, can run anywhere from like $13 to $18. If you're just going for like a medium cheese pizza, it's probably going to cost you about 9 bucks. So not that bad. When it not comes bad to at prices. all. So we know that you, uh, you've talked about a little bit about your background with Italian food and pizza kind of is Italian food. But I would categorize this one as a little bit more like the New York pizza kind of style. Yeah, it's definitely like that kind of like American um small town pizza shop that you know is kind of like its own category <laughs> well when i know that you're a pretty good recommendation when it comes to pizza as i had texted you multiple times <laughs> on a new york trip katrina where'd i go in new york <laughs> so how did this rank to some of the pizza that you've had um i mean that's like a very tall question <laughs> um I would say that it lives up to my rating, which was three and a half stars. Um, again, it's not the best pizza I've ever had. I've definitely had better. But for where it's at, what it's offering, the price that it's offering at, I think it was pretty decent. All right. Is this the place you go back to? I think if I was in the area, yeah, All definitely. Right. Perfect. Well, anything else you think we should know? I think that's it. All right. Perfect. Well, Katrina, thank you so much. Thank you. Frederick Uncut is produced by me, Heather Mangilio, and edited by Graham Cullen. We'll see you next week.